so wonderful that we can gather as church today to receive God's Word together. Let us pray as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Let us pray. Father God, open our eyes to behold the wonders in Your Word. May we be changed by an extraordinary sight of Your glory shown in Jesus Christ, so that as a church, we will display Your glory to the nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, the last few days, as part of the elders team, I've been monitoring the news of the novel coronavirus. You know, with the rapidly developing situation, we wanted to stay informed of the situation so that we can make recommendations and take the necessary precautions as a church. We desire that our members are cared for and kept safe. But what I discovered was that in the midst of this escalating health crisis, there were many voices claiming authority. Many websites, social media, and text messages claim to have authority. They claim they know what is going on, they claim to have knowledge of what to do, and that they have recommendations that will help people. And in the midst of the different voices, many claiming authority and yet telling you different things. Who do you listen to? So very early on, I referred to the Ministry of Health website because I trust that regarding matters of public health in Singapore, they are the authority. In the Bible, authority is linked to ruling authority. It is the kind of authority a sovereign or a king possesses and exercises. To have authority then is to have the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and to enforce obedience. My friends, why is knowing who has authority important? Because in this world we live, not only with regards to the situation with the uh, novel coronavirus, but also to our lives, to what we believe, our lifestyle options, our career decisions, our relationship choices. Who do we listen to? With the many different voices claiming authority, whose voice do we hear and heed? And my friends, we need to hear and heed the voice of our King Jesus as God has given him all authority. And we shall be looking at Luke chapter 4 today, Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. And this passage tells us that Jesus acts with authority and power to heal and to set people free. And this authenticates Jesus' authoritative word. So my friends, keep your finger on the page as we make our way through these 14 verses in Luke's gospel. We will see Jesus' authority in his teaching over supernatural evil, over diseases, and finally, Jesus' priority. That is the word. So stay with me as we cover these four points in our sermon in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. When the king speaks, his subject responds to his words because the king's words carry the king's authority. And we see in verses 31 to 32, Jesus speaking and teaching. 
and his words carry authority. Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 32. And he, meaning Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. My friends, remember what happened before this account? After Jesus' victory over temptation by the devil in the desert, in the wilderness, we see that in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 13, we see Jesus now in the power of the Holy Spirit returning to Galilee. And in Galilee, Jesus begins his ministry. And as Eugene preached last week, Jesus went to Nazareth. There, Jesus read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah on the Sabbath in the synagogue. He read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2. And this is quoted for us in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. And he, meaning Jesus, began to say to his hearers in verse 21, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. God's kingdom is here. And God's king, Jesus, he is the servant of the Lord who proclaims God's salvation. This scripture is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we see these verses today in Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 44. These verses that we'll be looking at today is an enactment or demonstration of Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. As Jesus, anointed by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaimed good news to the poor, proclaimed liberty to the captives, recovered the sight of the blind, and set at liberty the oppressed. So the events that Luke narrates for us in the passage today, Jesus' teaching, the casting out of evil spirits, the healing of diseases, they illustrate the proclamation from Isaiah 61 that Jesus made in the synagogue in Nazareth. In verse 31, we are told that Jesus went to Capernaum in Galilee. And he did what he usually does on the Sabbath. So Jesus, there he was, he went to the synagogue and taught those assembled the word of God. And those who heard Jesus' words were astonished, meaning they were surprised and amazed. Why? Why? It was because Jesus, the words Jesus spoke, had authority. So put yourself in the shoes of those present. The quality of Jesus' teaching was unusual. The hearers may have heard others teaching from Scripture before, and other teachers often cited, cited from and quoted other religious teachers and scribes. But now, they are hearing someone teaching with clarity and authority. They heard Jesus speaking, and His words carries not man's authority, but God's very authority. Jesus speaks God's very words. And his divine words does something to his hearers. They recognize the unusual authority Jesus' words carry. And their response was a sense of astonishment. My friends, what is your response to Jesus' words today? As you take up the Bible and you read or you hear the word taught or preached, what is your response? The Bible is Christ's word. It is Christ's authoritative word 
to his followers today? Do we, do we receive scripture with amazement that this is Christ's clear and authoritative word to us? Do we approach God's word with a sense of wonder and amazement? Do we approach God's word expecting God to speak to us? Or do we come with a bored familiarity? Do we treat the reading and teaching of God's word as mere religious duty? My friends, I urge you, seek to recover the sense of wonder and astonishment and awe when we hear and read the Bible. Pray that God will create and stir in us a sense of wonder as we come to His Bible in this new year, as we express dependence on Him and on His Word. And as we come together as church, point out and encourage each other with the wonder of God's Word. Just you think about it, my friends. Jesus, the Word of God, through whom all of creation was made and all creation sustained, still speaks to us today. And the Bible is Christ's very words to us. Now, I'm amazed by the rapid uh, technological advances happening around us. And, and one of the developments I'm fascinated by is the smart home. I'm, I'm sure some of you heard about this. So a smart home basically is a house that uses internet-connected devices to enable the remote monitoring and management of appliances and systems. So things such as lighting, uh, air conditioning, and uh, kitchen appliances, they can be controlled remotely. You can even set your smart home up to recognize voice commands. Imagine speaking the word light and the lights in your living room turn on. Or in my case, speaking the word coffee and the espresso machine in your kitchen brews you a hot cup of coffee. With technology, you can speak and things happen. Your words have the power to make things happen, of course, with the use of technology. Likewise, we see in Luke chapter 4, verses 33 to 37, Jesus' authoritative word has power to make things happen. In these verses, Jesus speaks and an unclean spirit obeys and leaves a man. Verses 33 to 37. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when a demon had thrown him down in a mist, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. So what we have here in this account, when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, you know, he was interrupted by a man who was possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And the man cried out, disrupting Jesus' teaching. The demon recognized who Jesus was. Jesus of Nazareth 
was the Holy One of God, the one set apart by God, anointed by God. And if you remember in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel Gabriel identifies the Holy One of God as the Son of God. In verse 41, we see other demons acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God. So what happened here is that the demon recognized that Jesus is the Son of God who has come in the power of the Holy Spirit to win a victory, to triumph over demonic powers and supernatural evil. The demons know who Jesus is, but they did not believe in Jesus Christ with personal trust and surrender. And what happened? The demon confronted Jesus, but Jesus was unfazed, and he actually scolded the demon. He spoke the word, be silent and come out of him. And take note of this, with this very authoritative word, the demon came out of the man, doing no harm to the man. Jesus speaks and things happen. The crowd present in the synagogue, they were amazed. And my friends, note what they observe, note what they observe. What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. They observe that Jesus' word had authority and power. Jesus speaks and things happen. King Jesus' words have the power to make demons come out of the people they possess. And we note the parable further down in the passage in verse 41. Verse 41. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and will not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. This was not a once-off incident. These verses show Jesus' complete authority over supernatural evil. And as a result of Jesus' authoritative words in casting out demons, we see the result in verse 37. And reports about him, meaning Jesus, went out into every place in the surrounding region. News of Jesus went viral. Everyone was tweeting and Facebook sharing about Jesus. Jesus' name was being spread far and wide. Now, some of you, as you're reading this passage, you may note something puzzling. In verse 35, Jesus silenced the demon, even though the demon was calling Jesus the Holy One of God. And in verse 41, Jesus rebuked the demons and did not allow them to speak, even though they acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God. Didn't Jesus want people to know that he is the Son of God? Why didn't accept publicity, so to speak, from the demons? Just three quick responses to this. Firstly, Jesus didn't need a one credentialing from supernatural evil. Just as he rejected Satan's temptation of for fame in the desert, Jesus didn't need demon-tainted renown. Secondly, it wasn't time yet. There'll be time later in Jesus' ministry when you accept the acknowledgement from others that He is the Son of God. But for now, Jesus didn't want to cause an uprising by the Israelites looking for a political Messiah to liberate them from the Romans. And thirdly, just having renown wasn't Jesus' purpose because Jesus' purpose ultimately led Jesus to the cross. There'll be time for Jesus' identity to be made known. And that time it will lead to Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. 
my friends, you know, there is something really startling with this passage. Verse 41. The demons knew he was the Christ, and yet Jesus rebuked and cast them away. You know, I must confess, as I was preparing for this message, I was actually reflecting on this verse. Why was the demon's faith unacceptable to Jesus? It causes me to wonder and ponder, what kind of faith do I have? Do I have the kind of faith that honours Christ, acceptable to Christ, or do I have a faith that is more akin, more like the demon's? Do I have the kind of faith that not only recognises Jesus, but also submits to his authority? This means we not only acknowledge Jesus, but we also surrender to Jesus' authority in every area of our lives, in our relationships, in our work and careers, in our recreation and finances. Do we not only acknowledge Jesus, but surrender to his authoritative word? Do we have the kind of faith that not only knows who Jesus is, but holy, also wholly trust in him? This means our confidence is Jesus only. And we should not hedge our bets and trust other functional gods. We should trust in Jesus and not how we can uh, work hard and uh, attain a name for ourselves. We should trust Jesus only. And as I was wondering, this last reflection question hit me real hard. Since I, as a pastor and I, I, I teach the Bible, I often need to be reading and studying the Scripture. And the question for, for me, and I'm sure for us who, who study Scripture as well, do I have the kind of faith that not only like the concept of Jesus, but also love and treasures Jesus? I mean, so some of us would like to read books, like to study. Sometimes Jesus can just be a nice sounding concept. But Jesus demands more than that. You see, more than just merely a concept. Do we love and treasure and value Jesus Christ? This means not only do I have a need to have a right thinking about Jesus Christ, but also a deep affection that values Jesus Christ. My friends, what about you? What kind of faith in Jesus do you have? You know, as part of this broken world, all of us will experience illness and sickness as we have been seeing the last uh, couple of weeks. And we all hope for healing when we are sick. So we can fully understand the desire of those who, want, who wanted healing. So we see in Luke chapter 4, verse 38 to 40, we see Jesus speaking an authoritative word. And Simon's mother-in-law immediately was healed. And consequently, we see loads of people who hope to be healing, hope to be healed, crowding Jesus. So we see in verses 38 to 40, and he, meaning Jesus, arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and he left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hand on every one of them and healed them. 
So we see the scene changing, and we follow Jesus as he went to Simon's home. We find Simon's mother-in-law ill with high fever. And the disciples asked Jesus to heal her. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stood over her, spoke an authoritative word, scolded the fever. Can you imagine that? Scolding the fever, and the, and the fever left, and she quickly recovered. She merely got up and began to serve Jesus and his disciples. And this shows a quick and complete recovery from her fever. And the news of healing must have spread because in verse 40, we see people bringing the sick to Jesus for, he for healing. And Jesus healed every one of them fully and completely. Jesus healing these verses and his casting out demons in, this in the preceding verses will make some of us uncomfortable. So what are we to make of these verses? Firstly, they happened because the Bible recorded them for us. So we are to give thanks for Jesus' wondrous works, for his works of healing and casting out of uh, evil spirits. So the question for us is, does Jesus heal today? Yes, he does. God still heals in both extraordinary ways and also through ordinary means. God can and still does miracles of healing. But miracles, by definition, are extraordinary and they are not part of our normal experiences. God can and does heal through ordinary means. For example, through His gracious provision of medical doctors and healthcare workers who heal our bodies through medicine and medical treatments. In fact, Luke, who wrote this gospel, he himself was a doctor. And he records for us in Acts chapter 28, Acts chapter 28, verses 8 and 9, both an, an account of both extraordinary and ordinary means of healing on the island of Malta. So for those of you who remember this account in the, in the, uh, the book of Acts, we see Paul and Luke and the band of, uh, his band around him in the island of Malta, and verse 8 tells us that Paul prayed, laid his hand on the father of Pubus and healed him. The word healed here in this verse in the original language is often described, uh, used to describe a miraculous act of bringing someone back to health. So this verse talks about a miraculous healing that occurred. Verse 9 on the, on the other hand tells us that the rest of the people on the island who had disease also came to Paul and his band and they were cured. The word here, were cured, in this verse in the original language, is often used to describe someone being treated, uh, provide, uh, being provided care so that their health improved. It's likely in this case, they were, both, they were med being medically treated by the Dr. Luke and their health improved. So in this account, both extraordinary and ordinary healing occurred. Both are from God and are used by God to restore people's health, bringing glory to His name. Another difficult question. I love how I end up with this passage where I have to explain things like this. Does Jesus still cast out supernatural evil today? Yes, He does. But it occurs more often in places where Jesus is not known, for example, in pioneer missions areas, where people are still in the grip of spirits but it is not 
normative and is certainly not the normal experience for modern-day Singaporeans. We do not want to be overly enamored by the supernatural. But as Bible-believing Christians, we also do not want to dismiss the supernatural because the Bible does record miracles and wondrous works from God as occurring. So what do we need to make of it? We need to get to the point of Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 44. This passage, if you look at it, is bracketed by Jesus' teaching of the Word in verse 31, and Jesus preaching the good news and proclaiming the Word in verses 43 to 44. And if you follow with me in this passage, throughout this passage, the emphasis is not so much on the wondrous words, um, on the wondrous works, not so much on the wondrous works, but the emphasis is on the authority of Jesus' words. This is seen directly in verses 32 and 36, or implied when Jesus spoke and rebuked the demons in verses 35 to 40 and 41, or when Jesus rebuked the illness with his authoritative word in verse 39, and they obeyed. In fact, in Luke, uh, Luke in Acts 2.22, tells us clearly the point of these wondrous works of Jesus. There, Luke records Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, and in Acts 2.22, Peter actually says this, Man of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. The wondrous words, the wondrous works, the wondrous works that God did through Jesus attest to who Jesus is. They give evidence that Jesus is the Son of God who comes with authority. Jesus' wondrous works attest to his authority. It proves the authority of Jesus' words. So what does it mean for us? If we follow Peter's sermon and his argument to the very end in Acts 2.38, this is what Peter says. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' authoritative words tell us that he is the long-awaited Messiah who will save us from our sins. And our response to his authoritative works, uh, his wondrous works and his authoritative word is to repent and place our faith in Jesus Christ, that he is who he say he is. So all this points to Jesus as being who he says he is and points us to the salvation that He provides for us. You know, mission drift occurs when we get off focus and we forget our purpose. Jesus, because of His wondrous works, received a favorable response from the crowd. They wanted to keep Jesus with them. That, that's a very natural response, right? Uh, we see Jesus doing wondrous things in our midst and we want to keep Jesus for ourselves. However, Jesus did not forget his priority and stuck to his purpose. We see in verses 42 to 44. And when it was day, he, meaning Jesus, departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he, but Jesus said to them, 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So what we see is Jesus had a long night of ministry, performing miracles of healing and casting out of demons. And verse 42 tells us, it was day and Jesus left and went to a deserted place. However, people looked for Jesus, found him, and wanted to keep Jesus from leaving. They wanted Jesus for themselves. But Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was clear of his purpose, that is to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he continued to proclaim this good news to others in Judea. My friends, if we trace the line, we are recipients of this proclamation of this good news. But what is fascinating to me is what Jesus did not do. I mean, think with me. He has just had success in his ministry of wondrous works and miracles, and the people were so favorable towards him. You know, they, they all wanted him to be around, they all loved Jesus. But Jesus did not franchise his wonder working ministry. He did not set up a school or supernatural ministry to expand on working his miracles through his students. Because while physical healing and liberty from demonic oppression are legitimate needs, but they are not the ultimate need for humankind. Jesus' priority was the preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God. And what was Jesus' message? The kingdom of God has come. The verses in Isaiah 6, uh, Isaiah 61 is coming to pass. God, through Jesus, is bringing us exiles back into the kingdom of God. And as the Gospel of Luke continues, we learn that we enter the kingdom of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not drift from his mission. He knew the Father's purpose for him. Jesus knew humankind's greatest need. It wasn't physical healing. It was spiritual healing. Man's greatest need is the solution to the problem of our rejection of God and our rebellion against God. As a result of our rejection and rebellion, we face God's just judgment against us. Our greatest need then is the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God. That is why Jesus preached the word. That's why Jesus preached the gospel. The good news is that true faith in Jesus Christ and trusting in His atoning sacrificial work on the cross, we will receive salvation and enter into God's kingdom. Jesus' priority is clearly articulated in verse 43. He is to preach this authoritative word of the gospel to everyone. My friends, because of Jesus Christ's power and authority, therefore we can respond with trust and confidence in Jesus' words. And as we draw to a close, let me invite the musicians to come forward and we'll spend the next few minutes in reflection. In what areas of my life today do I have to put my confidence in Jesus' authoritative word? Perhaps for some of us who are not believers in Christ, the call for you today 
is to place your confidence in Jesus' offer of salvation. You have heard the gospel today of how He meets our ultimate need. The forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation with God. I urge you then to place your trust in Jesus Christ today. And my friends, if this is your desire, please feel free to contact any of the elders or pastors. We will have elders standing at the front and the back after this service. If you want to know about the gospel or you simply have any questions, we'll be happy to speak to you. Perhaps for us believers, there are areas in our lives which we need to place our confidence in Jesus' authoritative word today. Over and against other voices shouting at us from the world claiming authority, we need to turn to Jesus whose words has God's very authority. We need to place our confidence in Jesus' authoritative words, the Bible. In the midst of anxiety, perhaps over health issues, perhaps over the coronavirus concerns, we need to trust Psalm 121 verse 2 that my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and the earth. Our help comes from our sovereign God and not on anything else. In the midst of our doubts, perhaps we struggle with believing that God is good in the midst of the difficulties we are facing. We need to trust Psalm 86, 5. For you, O God, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Perhaps in the midst of a rebellion, perhaps we struggle to believe that God could forgive us. After all, we made a mess of our lives. We need to trust John 1, John, uh, 1 John 1, 9. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, for us as church, we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ and pursue the Word as our priority. Jesus' priority of the Word should be the priority of this church, of GBC. We need to learn and speak Bible to one another in our meetings and CGs. We need to sing Scripture as we gather as church on Sunday. We should learn to pursue our disciple-making of one another being centred around Christ's words. We rehearse the gospel, the word of the gospel, when we observe the ordinances such as baptism and Lord's Supper. And this is what we'll be doing right now as we observe together as church the Lord's Supper. I invite the ushers and stewards to come forward. The Lord's Supper is the reminder of the good news that Jesus Christ preached. It tells us of how God met our greatest need for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It displays God's great mercy to His people when He gave His Son, Jesus Christ, as atoning sacrifice for us on the cross. Jesus' body was crucified and broken on the cross. His blood shed for us. He gave His life so that our sins can be forgiven and so that we can know resurrection life. 
Let us remember all these as we share in the Lord's Supper. We invite baptized believers to join us as we observe the Lord's Supper. As we, as we prepare our hearts, let me, let, let me pray for us as we pray and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this means of your grace, the Lord's Supper. Teach us to see in your faithful, loving purposes of reconciling us to yourself. And may it be joy and strength for our souls. You welcome us into your presence. And though we are unworthy to approach you because of our sins, we come confidently trusting and resting on Jesus' authoritative word and what he has done for us on the cross and not trusting in ourselves and what we have done. We give thanks for your grace and for the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ's name, amen.